Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're going to have a very unique experience to hear about what's the latest and greatest in technology in joints. And I'm joined here in the studio by Dr. David Ravinsky. He is currently practicing at Wilcox Medical Center on the island of Kauai. And I'm delighted that you're here on Oahu today. Thanks for coming over and being part of the show. Well, thanks for having me. Now, a lot of people get scared when they think about, you know, they're getting older, they're having potential issues with their joints. We hear about joint replacement. I remember way back in medical school, you know, you would do this wearing like a full biohazard hood or something. It was this big invasive surgery years ago. And technology, as it's followed a variety of different things in medicine, has really transformed the area of joints. But you in particular, kind of motivated by potentially needing a joint in the future, have done some advanced research to develop a unique model of the joint that you want to have in the future. When the time comes, this is what you want. And it helped you to craft a very unique custom patient instrument. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I was struck by two things. One, as you said, I have a vested interest in joint replacement because playing hockey growing up and being very active and having injuries and surgeries on both my knees, I recognize that I'm going to need a knee replacement in the future. So nothing I saw in medical school or residency was anything that I wanted to have in myself. And the second thing I was struck with, particularly looking at surfboard shapers, was that the technology that a surfboard shaper uses is more advanced than what the typical orthopedic surgeon uses in the operating room. So that was troubling to me. Uh, yeah, I would think so. I mean, if we can create custom-made surfboards, if we can use all this different technological advances to improve things, it sounds like it's, it's, it's time. You've discovered a way to apply all this technology to joints. So what we do is we take a full-length x-ray of the leg from hip to ankle and get an MRI of the knee. And this allows us to create a three-dimensional model of the patient's anatomy, cartilage and bones together. And then on the computer at home, taking my time, I can design the perfect knee replacement to fit that patient exactly. So that's step one. Step two is how do we execute the plan perfectly in the operating room? So I work with my engineer who's in Memphis, and I send her the images and my plan. And then she uses her three-dimensional printer to print custom instruments that match and fit exactly the patient's own anatomy. So when I go to the operating room, all I have to do is execute my plan. So I open up the knee. We don't cut the muscle. We go underneath the muscle because we don't have to be as invasive. These custom cutting blocks fit directly onto the patient's knee, and then they have guides for the saw. And then after I make my saw cuts, I can measure each cut and compare it to our plan and make sure it's within a fraction of a millimeter of our plan so we can execute the perfect knee that we envisioned and designed. So this streamlines the surgery and is less invasive for the patient and allows for less pain and a faster recovery. It sounds like the kind of joint I want if I ever need one. Now, how is that different than what's done now? You know, the standard protocol for most people who might need, let's talk about knee because, you know, that's, that's we'll stick to the same joint. That's an area that is very common. And the standard protocol would be to take some pre-sized different joint replacements and you know, determine which one might be the closest fit and then go ahead and 
do kind of eyeballing it in the operating room? How How is it done or how has it been done previously to what you're describing using, you know, three-dimensional virtual modeling and 3D printing? Well, we train our surgeons to definitely make a plan before going to the operating room. And typically you'll take x-rays and then use templates on those x-rays to estimate the size of the implants you're going to use and estimate the cuts you're going to make. But execution has been the problem. In the operating room, the traditional method is to drill a hole into the femur bone and stick a metal rod all the way up inside the femur bone and then apply a jig to the end of this rod and cut at 5 or 6 degrees. And the same thing is done on the tibia side, drilling a hole into the tibia bone or using an eyeball guide outside the tibia to make a flat cut on the tibia. And it's critical to get the alignment correct. Just like when you put new tires on your car, you want to get the alignment correct so the wear is best. If you have a crooked knee, it's going to wear out much sooner and it's not going to function as well. So we would call it acceptable if you got within three degrees of neutral alignment. But if someone's doing my knee, I want it within less than one degree of perfect alignment because I want my knee to function best. Now, if you have two knees that you need to have replaced, and one knee is clearly not in alignment, and the one that you replace is in alignment, does that add more stress to the one that isn't? Absolutely. It's going to put more load on the on the good knee when the one knee is crooked or bad. It's interesting that sometimes people will have some mild symptoms on a left knee, but the right knee is really the more severe knee. And if they get the right knee replaced, then that makes the left knee feel better and they can put off doing anything for the left knee for a number of years. So that's really critical, I think, in the beginning is to get the right diagnosis. You know, a lot of times you could have hip pain that is not actually your hip. It's actually coming from your knee. You could have opposite knee pain. One of the key features of what an orthopedist needs to do is identify, is the source of the pain coming from a particular joint? And if so, does that joint need to be replaced? And if it needs to be replaced, what are some of the options? So traditionally, the options have been doing the x-ray, trying to guesstimate, come up with a plan. And part of that evaluation, part of you being part of surgical training, learning this, is what prompted you to think of something new and different. So you've described using a 3D modeling technique. Is there something different about what sort of material you put in the implant that is unique to what you're doing? Well, the implants that we use use oxinium on the femoral side and cross-linked poly on the tibial side over titanium. So the couple unique things about these materials, number one, there's no nickel, there's no cobalt, there's no chromium. And why would we not want that involved? Does that sometimes leak into the body out of the implant? Or what What makes oxinium superior? Well, metal sensitivity is a real issue. So if you look at the general population, about 2 or 3% of patients or humans will have a sensitivity to nickel. And some, it's very severe where you can't wear certain kinds of earrings or you can't wear a wristwatch. Other people, it's more subtle. If you take patients who've had a total knee or total hip replacement, about 10% of them will show on lab testing a sensitivity to metals because they've had exposure to it. Now their body's sensitized to it. If you take a subset of patients who have a total hip or total knee that looks perfect on x-ray but doesn't feel good to the patient, about 40% of them will have a metal sensitivity. So my thought process is why put a metal in somebody that they can become sensitive to? So a big advantage of these joints, all total hips and all total knees that we do at Wilcox are made 
with oxinium and titanium and polyethylene, no nickel, no cobalt, no chromium. That's important. The other thing is there are certain characteristics of oxinium that make it very good for wear. It's Without getting too scientific, it's a ceramicized metal. So it's a metal where the surface has been transformed into ceramic. So it's very durable, very low friction. And in the lab, we've taken the total hips and total knees and subjected them to stress testing. 45 million cycles, which is about 30 years of wear, with almost no loss of material. So these are very, very durable. And with over a million implanted, there's no adverse reactions to this material noted. So it's extremely durable. No evidence of sensitivity can last for a long time. And the way that it's been developed is such that it's part of this customized patient approach to putting the material in such that it matches exactly using that 3D printer the exact sort of type of cut that needs to be made into the bone where it's attached. And getting the sizing right is critical. So, for example, if we have 10 sizes on the femur and 10 sizes on the tibia and 10 sizes of the polyethylene in between, that's a 1,000 combinations. So when I'm designing the perfect total knee for each patient, I can make sure it fits their anatomy exactly. All right, we'll be right back after this quick break. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show, and I'm here in the studio with Dr. David Ravinsky. We're talking about different ways that you can address replacing your joints, and is there a customized way that we can use technology that has advanced today to help this happen to your joints? We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. David Ravinsky. He's convincing me that if I ever need a joint, that's where I want to go to get it, is to my wonderful neighbor island of Kauai and to go to Wilcox Medical Center because it could be customized and done correctly, actually so close to your actual real knee anatomy and could last for a long time. Now, right before our quick break, we talked about duration of use, that you can actually expect that this knee implant will last longer than the other ones that are on the market because you mentioned that they've done studies and it could potentially last up to 30 years. The best studies, I think, are the total joint registries because they collect a nation's worth data. So the most recent data has been from Australian National Joint Registry. So they looked at every single total hip that was put in Australia and they were able to separate them out by what type of materials were used. And Certainly the ones that failed early were metal on metal and the use of regular polyethylene instead of cross-linked polyethylene. But clear and away the winner is ceramicized metal or the oxinium. This was the lowest rate of revision by far. And what was exciting, at 11, 12, 13 years, the line was leveling out. What this means is that the early failures are usually for poorly performed surgeries that are not related to the implant, either the hip dislocates or gets infected. But once those surgeon errors are eliminated, then the failures are related to the materials themselves. So you're seeing no further failure after 11, 12 years, and the failure rate's less than 3%. That's a very, very solid bearing surface. So not only can you do this for a total knee replacement, there's also ways you can do partial knee resurfacing using the similar oxinium metal and the cross-linked uh, poly 
Ethylene. Ethylene. I was going to say polyethylene. I don't know, but okay. So I can actually see it and we'll have a visual on our Facebook page. So this cross-link polyethylene and the oxinium can also be used for partial knee. Why would someone want to do just part of their knee? Well, I'm a firm believer that we come from the factory with really well-designed parts. So the more of your own anatomy we can keep, the better function your knee is going to have. And the other thing is what is plan B or plan C? So suppose you're only 35 or 40 and you have totally damaged the inside part of your knee or the medial part of your knee. If I do a total knee replacement and even if we get 30 years out of it, we're looking at doing a revision knee in your 70s. So if we do a partial knee and we can get 15 or 20 years out of that, then you can convert the partial knee to a total knee and then expect that to last the rest of your life. So I think that when I look at partial knee resurfacing procedures, they are less invasive and a faster recovery for the patients. The patients have better function. The knee feels more like a normal knee. And it gives us an option in the future if it's necessary. Now, a partial knee would be something that you would do if you had a particular type of loss of cartilage or maybe you've had some previous injuries or maybe the way that you know your knee rubs up against the top part, rubs up against the bottom, your femur and your tibia. When we talk about doing partial types of replacements, does that allow for the ligaments to still stay intact? Does that allow for muscles to be the 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 need to cut muscles to be minimized? Absolutely. So when you're doing a partial knee resurfacing, you're not cutting or damaging any ligaments and you're not cutting any muscle. All this can be done through a submuscular approach. So that's one big advantage. The other possibility we hadn't really talked about is, you know, what if you wear out just underneath your kneecap? And this is a common pattern of arthritis for women more than men and usually strikes younger women 45 to 55. I love the fact that you said younger women are 45 to 55. I'm just, I'm going to give you an A plus for that. <laughs> well, it's, you want to have a good option for them where they have a fast recovery and you're really replacing only the part of the knee that's wore out. So you can resurface underneath the kneecap just as easily. And then Suppose they have down the road progression of arthritis and they wear out the inside of their knee, which is the most common pattern. You can add a partial knee resurfacing at that point. So it gives people more options. And the recovery difference is striking. When I look at the recovery of a total knee replacement, you know, it's two to four weeks before they're really over the hump. And the partial knee resurfacing patients are really recovering more like an arthroscopy patient. Usually by 10 to 12 days, they're really well on the way to recovery. Now, we've talked about trying to keep the ligaments intact, trying to keep the the muscle intact. Is there a way you can do that for a total knee? There is, and this has been the focus of the latest research. And, and disclosure is I'm a designer of this knee, and I'm invested in it because it always bugged me that every single total knee design involved cutting either your ACL or your PCL or both, and we make a lot of work for our sports medicine doctors to do ACL reconstruction. I do a lot of ACL reconstruction. So why am I spending Tuesdays reconstructing ACLs and Wednesdays removing them? It never made sense. And if I'm an athlete and I want to surf, I definitely want a knee that has my ACL stability because I'm going to be turning and pivoting and loading up that knee. So none of the knees I saw really represented anything that I wanted to have. So what we've worked on is a total knee resurfacing or an ACL and PCL sparing total knee. So we're really restoring the normal anatomy of the knee. We're resurfacing it. 
And it allows the knee to have its normal pivoting. And it has its anterior and posterior stability and rotational stability that's provided by the ligaments. And that's something you wouldn't have if you didn't do the knee resurfacing. Current approaches to doing knee replacements, you would be technically removing those ligaments. Every single total knee that's performed, with the exception of one other design on the market, involves cutting either the ACL or the PCL or both. And granted, you said, you know, we've... We're created by a pretty good designer at the start. We have an ACL and PCL for a reason. Having a way to keep those intact would definitely be to your advantage if you're doing any type of joint surgery and you want to still be active. I think they're an advantage for everyone because everyone is active. And, you know, the ACL and PCL have important nerve fibers. They give you proprioception. They let you know where your knee is in space. They give your knee more security and stability. So I don't think this is a knee that I'm reserving for patients who have specific sports needs. But if they have good range of motion and they have good alignment, I think that this is the ideal knee. And in my patients that I've done the surgery on, their recovery is even faster. I mean, I've had patients who have an old-style knee on one knee, and then I do this knee, and they, they notice a marked difference in how the knee feels and how fast the recovery is. Now, you mentioned about the alignment. So not everyone would be a candidate for this if they had alignment that was out of, out of the correct location? That's correct. So suppose someone has a very crooked knee, and we've all seen people who are quite bow-legged because they have very severe arthritis. I think in our lab, we've seen that it's very difficult to balance four ligaments if you're changing the alignment of someone's knee more than about five degrees. So for someone who has a knee that has a pretty full range of motion and pretty good alignment, then a knee resurfacing makes sense. But if you have a much more crooked knee and you need to release ligaments to get the knee to balance after you straighten it out, then a traditional total knee might work better and be more reliable. So it really does take that personalized approach to figuring out what exactly could this individual need and how can we best approach that. Now, it's not just knees. There's also some things that you're doing regarding hips as well. That's true. And uh, hip replacement is something I'm very excited and passionate about. And Do you need one of those too in the future? <laughs> I was a hockey player, and I have hip impingement, and I see that coming down the line. Okay. So, you know, the true way to motivate somebody to really get them to do what they need to do is have them get that particular problem. So luckily, I'm really happy. Unfortunately, I'm sorry for you, but I'm happy you've had such knee and hip troubles only because of the fact that it really motivated you to transform and revolutionize how we look at joint replacement. People come to you from more than just Kauai. People come to you from all over the world to have these sorts of procedures done. And you've also taken time to train some of the residents as well and have them come see what it's like to practice not only this advanced technology orthopedics, but also what is orthopedics like when you live in uh, in an island that is not an urban area? Well, I'm really blessed on Kauai because Kauai is a gorgeous place. It's a rural environment, and I do practice bread-and-butter orthopedics. I still take emergency call anywhere from 12 to 14 nights a month. So when the residents come over, they're exposed to life of a blue-collar orthopedic surgeon. But I also have such tremendous support from the hospital that I can do these high-technology advanced procedures. So it's really exciting to be able to do both. On the hip side, you know, what questions or what problems was I trying to solve? Number one is getting the implants in perfect position because one common problem with total hip replacement is either dislocation or getting the leg lengths wrong. And there had to be a better way to do this. 
Now, before we go through exactly what that better way is, we're going to take a quick break. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. David Ravinsky from Wilcox Medical Center on Kauai, and you are listening to The Body Show. We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Hawaii Pacific University and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. David Ravinsky. And we're talking today about different types of joint replacements. Now, he's a surgeon on Kauai at Wilcox Medical Center and has revolutionized what we're looking at when we think about the long-term duration, durability, and customization of joint replacements. Now, we've talked about the knee. Let's talk about the hip. I'm I'm glad someday you're in lead one because you've helped to figure out how to do this in such a way that it's going to allow people to still be physically active, do the things they like to do. And yet, if they have worn out a joint because of a lot of previous athleticism or injury, still be able to to find a way to replace that joint and do what they love. I think that's the key. And we're looking at making patients as satisfied as possible. And the first total hip was that I was involved in was 1995. It's shocking to me that it's that long ago. But it was a huge operation. And the kind of patients we were doing surgery on were very, very limited. They couldn't walk a block. They had pain that woke them up from sleep at night. Now we have patients that come in the office, and they say, I have knee arthritis, I have hip arthritis. My knee hurts in my second set of tennis. Or my hip bothers me when I'm stand-up paddling. So we're starting at a much higher level of function. So we have to achieve a really perfect result for these patients to be happy And we have to have implants and procedures that will stand up to the stresses that are going to be put on them. We want people to go back to all the fun things they like to do. So, you know, we were talking about hip replacement. The two issues there were how they're put in and getting the position of the implants right. And the traditional way to do a total hip was to make this big incision on the patient's backside and split their whole buttock muscle, the gluteus maximus. That seemed to me to be disabling. There was a high risk of dislocation by going through this big posterior approach. And then you'd watch the surgeon kind of hold the knees and determine if the leg lengths were about right. And I was thinking, again, can't we use computers in some way to help us do this? Can't we use x-rays and fluoroscopy to help us do this better? So 10 years ago, I went to Los Angeles and learned how to do the direct anterior hip replacement. And This is a way to do this through a minimally invasive approach through the front. You go between the muscles instead of cutting the muscles. And you're doing this on a specialized table. You can do it all under x-ray guidance and control. So what we've done to take it to the next level is preoperatively we have everything on digital radiography. So all the x-rays are digitized and they're also templated so we know exactly the size of the bones. Again, using the computer, I do computer-aided design and perfectly template what I think the ideal hip is going to look like. And then we have a grid that we use on our C-arm to help us navigate the total hip so we can get the components exactly in alignment that we're looking for, match the leg lengths within one millimeter, get the offset exactly right, and streamline the procedure. We can get the procedure done, the hardware in, in about 45 minutes. And this really gets people up and going quicker. And you mentioned a C-arm. That's a device you can use in the operating room to give you real-time identification of location. It's it's a real-time x-ray machine. 
And so with that, you're able to put it in the exact right position, knowing that you've done all of this this advanced research about it to begin with before the patient even came in to have it done. You've got it templated, digitized. You've got all the all the different materials and exactly where they need to go computerized, written down. So it's much less likely you're going to have a change because you've already kind of walked through the process in your head and with the computer before it even got started. That's the key. And I guess it reflects my training. I was in computer software and engineering did that for three years before medical school. And IBM, the motto was plan your work, work your plan. So for me, I approach surgery the same way. I have to identify clearly my plan. I know and identify my target, and then it's all about execution. And that makes the workflow really streamlined. And we think about that in the operating room too. Every minute the patient is exposed and open is, is a risk for infection. So you want your procedures to be streamlined, efficient. You want to minimize traffic in the operating room. So we have a very engineering approach to doing our total joint replacement. Now, where do you see joint replacement heading in the next 5, 10 years? Well, I can tell you in the next one year, um, it's transitioning to become an outpatient procedure. An outpatient procedure. So you go in in the morning, you have your joint replacement, and you would go home that night. That's exactly right. We already have some patients going home the same day from total hip and total knee replacement. Our standard length of stay at Wilcox is one night in hospital. So you come in in the morning, you get your surgery done, you're up walking that same day. The next morning, you get one more round of physical therapy, and then you go home. But we're going to even shorten it further to going home the same day. So that's the future. And then the next thing that we're working on is robotics. And this may sound very much like science fiction, but if you can have a robot, that'll increase your precision even further. And it's a haptic robot that gives you sensory feedback. So the best way to imagine it is I digitize my model of the knee, and then I do my total knee virtually on the computer screen, and I have markers on the bone that lets the robot know exactly where the bones are in space. And then I use a burr to erase the bone that I don't want to be there. That's going to be replaced by the metal that I'm going to be putting there. And the burr will stop if I color outside the lines. So at the end of the day, it's very, very precise and perfect bone preparation for knee resurfacing. Because robotic surgery has been found to be a great way to do surgery, particularly for high precision or small spaces. It's been shown to be superior in certain types of urologic procedures. Gynecologists use robots quite a bit just because of the fact that it can really help you to do things at an angle that is not a normal human angle for the surgeon, that it really can help not only to get to a certain area, but also to be so much more precise. So the future of orthopedic surgery maybe including what you're already doing with the custom instrumentation using these materials, but it may also soon include robotics. Absolutely. That's the next thing on our radar. So do you think you can hold off with your joint replacements until robotics comes up around the corner? God willing. I, w I would hope so. That certainly sounds like it would be a goal. And in the materials, do you see any change in using something other than oxinium? Has it been proven to be so superior that it's probably going to be standard soon? I believe oxinium uh, on cross-link polyethylene is a superior bearing surface to everything else that's out there. I 
believe that there are still advances to be made. Uh, one thing that we're testing in the lab that is going to be coming is an oxinium on oxinium total hip replacement. So has all the virtues and low rate of wear of ceramic on ceramic, but none of the brittleness that can come with a ceramic total hip. So that's exciting to be in the future. All right. Well, you've excited me about hopefully not needing joint surgery. But if I do, knowing that there's so many new things coming out there and a lot of really customized approaches that make a lot of sense, why can't we leverage our ability to use technology to help ourselves? I want to thank you for coming over from Kauai to share with us your expertise today. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. David Ravinsky is a orthopedic surgeon at Wilcox Medical Center. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. Our engineer, David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Koslovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. Woo!